The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. As Jesus continued his journey to Jerusalem, he traveled through Samaria and Galilee. As he was entering a village, ten lepers met him. They stood at a distance from him and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. As they were going, they were cleansed. And one of them, realizing he had been healed, returned, glorifying God in a loud voice. And he fell at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus said in reply, Ten were cleansed, were they not? Where are the other nine? Has none but this foreigner returned to give thanks to God? Then he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. The Gospel of the Lord. The month of October is is many things. One of them is it's the month of Mary, which is why we've been having the rosary uh, said before Mass uh, during the month of October. It's also Respect for Life Month. It's also also going to be Father Ed and Mine's Liturgy Month, okay? We're trying to do kind of a a series on the liturgy. So for the month of October, uh, during the different homilies, we're trying to speak on the liturgy and ministries. And it's a little bit awkward because we're kind of going back and forth between St. Joe's and here. So if you heard my homily homily from last week because you were at St. Joe's, You're going to hear some of the the similarities. But a homily can be on, uh, normally it's on the readings, right? The readings that are said at Mass. Although it can also be on the liturgy as a whole. And so any one of the prayers or anything else. And so this week I think that the readings really do work in pretty well. uh, And love them. But but we're going to focus mainly, mainly just on the liturgy as a whole. One of the things to kind of note on the liturgy as a whole is that uh, one of the most formative things for our experience of the liturgy, the Mass today, is Vatican II. Vatican II started, or the opening was October 11th, 1962. And during that council, part of the discussion was they were seeing a young generation come up with new problems, and they were seeing a disengagement from what was just done in the past. And so part of the discussion is how can we not change the gospel to make it more relevant, but continue to present this continually relevant gospel to continue to encounter so that, so that the people might also be able to encounter the gospel in a way. One of the most important ways that we always encounter the gospel is through the liturgy, through the Mass. And so one of the documents that they specifically wrote on was on the sacred liturgy. And in paragraph 19... It says, uh, it kind of talks to the pastors and it says, As for the faithful, their liturgical education and active participation, both internal and external, are to be pursued by their pastors with zeal and patience. So this is our attempt to educate, to be able to help you participate internally and externally. And we're doing that hopefully with a little bit of zeal and patience. So what, uh, what is this participation? Well, I think one of the things that I realize is that it's really difficult to participate in something that you don't understand. When I was a kid, I remember growing up and watching football with my dad. 
And initially, when I was little, I didn't really understand what the rules were. I understood touchdowns, but I didn't understand fouls, and so I didn't understand why sometimes that wasn't or that counted. But as I started to understand more, right, ask questions, started to have things explained, I started to get engaged more and more, and so that I loved watching football, uh, especially the Packers, of course, right? Uh, But I couldn't understand how my mom and my grandma just didn't care. They would sit down on occasion and watch a little bit and just become disengaged really quickly and go off and do other things. And I I just couldn't understand how they couldn't understand how amazing this game was, right? How, How they couldn't be glued to the TV. Well, I figured out, I understood a little bit more when I got to college. And I was really excited to watch for the first time and go and watch rugby. Um, I was a football and wrestler wrestler in high school, and I think rugby, at least from what I knew from it before, was kind of a a mix of the two in some ways. Kind of like football, but a little bit more uh, wrestling in some ways, uh, and just kind of a a cool game. And so I remember going to my first game and watching and seeing some amazing athletes. I mean, these were just... uh, very good athletes, I could tell by the way that they, they played the game, but I didn't understand the game at all. I knew that they were trying to score points, and I knew that they sometimes scored points because the scoreboard changed, but I didn't understand how sometimes it was more or less. Sometimes they'd just randomly stop and put the ball down and then restart, or sometimes they'd just run backwards and kick the ball, and I was just super confused. And I, after watching it for about an hour, I, you know, kind of got disengaged, started talking with the people around me, and then, and then never went back to watch another one. And I think that's very similar in a lot of things that we do, right? If we understand it, we're able to engage it. If we don't understand it, well, we can't engage it. And it's not surprising they become disengaged and don't want to go. And I think that's very true with the liturgy as well. If we understand what's happening here in the Mass, we're engaged. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe there are certain times that are a little bit slower than others. Or or maybe certain times when we've got to remind ourselves that it's important. But if we understand what it is, we're going to be way more engaged and be able to participate than if we don't. Now this analogy breaks down at a certain point because we're not just watching the game. In fact, it's not just all of you watching Father do his thing. But actually, you're on the field as well. More relevant would be someone not having any idea how to play football, and they're in pads on the football field, just standing there, right? They're going to be really confused and probably not like football when they get hit a couple times, right? And they're like, well, what are you doing there, right? That's kind of more, uh, a, a more apt analogy of what's happening here. You are participating in the liturgy. You, by here as baptized Christians, are here participating in the prayer of Jesus Christ. But if you don't understand it, if you don't know it, you're just standing there. And it's not surprising that it's boring or disengaged. Now, Vatican II tried certain things, sort of gave a certain framework, and we interpreted it into certain ways to be able to help uh, engage it. Well, one of those ways, most obvious, that we kind of see as the change is that they, they allowed... Uh, the, the vernacular to be spoken for the Mass. Before 1962, actually before 1971, I'm not exactly sure on the date that it changed and allowed for English, but before that it was spoken in Latin. And people are like, wow, uh, I'm really glad that now it's in English and now we can understand it. And I, I think that's true. I'm very grateful that it's in English. 
But I feel like sometimes as I'm up here saying the different prayers, I might as well be speaking Latin. Because it goes right over everybody's head, right? I say, let us pray, and everybody zones out, right? If anybody, can anybody, you know, actually remember what I prayed for that opening prayer, right? Even though that it was in English, still, it, it's not quite the same. I, I say the Eucharistic prayer, and, and sometimes it's, it's so familiar to us, we know the English words, but yet it just goes right past us. What's the problem? Well, I think sometimes we think that it's too easy uh, to try to uh, have a simple fix. Oh, if we just change it to English, then everything will go away. Now people will show up to Mass. Well, actually, our statistics are getting worse and worse and worse. More and more people are getting disengaged from Catholicism and the Mass, right? There's more and more nuns, people who were Catholic and don't identify as Catholic. One of the other, I think, uh, kind of erroneous uh, ways... No, no, I think that, that's helpful, right? Not to say that it's, it's bad, um, but it's not, it's not the total fix, right? I think one of the other ways that we sometimes try to fix the liturgy and our participation is by active busybody. Well, we need everybody to have a ministry, right? If we have 10 people up here for servers, then the kids will pay attention, right? Uh, if we have 20 ushers, then they'll have, feel like they have something to do in this liturgy. Well, really, those active busybody ministries aren't meant to be active busybodies so that you feel like you participate. They're actually supposed to help everybody else participate. And it's actually not the way that, that Simeon doesn't primarily participate in this liturgy as a server. He, particip- he mainly participates as a prayer by participating in it. Now, ministries are important. Uh, not to say that they're not. Um, it's incredibly important. I could, I don't need a server, but it helps the Mass flow better and allows me to be able to act more as a priest and less as a busybody. Uh, by having a server, and so it's incredibly helpful so that I'm not running back and forth, and you all cannot, you don't, don't have to watch that, right? Uh, ushers, although not essential, because we can all open up the doors ourselves, are important because it helps us to be able to get in the right frame of mind as we come here. Reminding it with a smile that you're welcome here, that God wants you to be here, Right? That usher is actually helping you participate in a greater way. Eucharistic ministers, although not needed, make the Mass not stretch on for two hours, although my homilies might. Um, It helps in some ways. All these different ministries, our music and singing isn't necessary, right? Last night, we didn't have a musician, and I tried to sing, and it it unfortunately was a little bit painful. Um, It helps when we have somebody who helps us to engage with singing because that helps reach deeper into our soul. So what are we trying to do here? Well, Vatican II speaks about it in the same document on paragraph 14, which I think gets at the heart of this. It says, Mother Church greatly desires that all the faithful may be brought to take full intelligent or conscious, active part or participation in the liturgy. So kind of the simple is full, conscious, and active. So what does that mean? Well, I, I can't exactly explain it all, uh, but, it, but it means more than what we do maybe sometimes. Full, right? Our full body, our full experience, not just our physical body, but our soul, our intellect is all supposed to be engaged. Our intellect, our conscience, that we're consciously choosing to be present here. And that we're actively participating, not actively participating as busybodies, but actively participating by actively placing our heart 
at the altar. Now, why, what is so special about this Mass that the church would even say that you have an obligation to be here every Sunday? Now, it's interesting because the Packers don't have an obligation. You don't have to be obligated to watch the Packers every Sunday, but yet people watch Packers every Sunday, right? It's not that the obligation necessarily makes it. So why do we have this obligation? Well, it's actually an obligation for you. For, for your benefit, because there's something more here than just uh, what we see. Now, can we pray other places? Absolutely. But there's something more that happens here than just prayer. And there's something more that happens here than even just the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, with the bread and wine, it becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And Jesus becomes truly present here, and we're called to encounter Jesus. But he also is in the Adoration Chapel, right? In the Eucharist, and we reserve that and take time to pray with him there. Why is it so special here? Well, because he comes here in a, in a fuller way. He comes here through the Paschal Mystery. That Jesus doesn't just become present in the Eucharist, but the entire prayer itself is a participation in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so when we come here, we come here to come to Calvary, to hear his words as he walked along, right? To be able to once again be a part of Calvary. Now to kind of back ourselves and kind of give a little bit more of context of this, which I think is important, is to kind of reference the first reading today. This first reading today is a, is, a, is a great story, and we kind of hear the very end of it, so we don't really understand everything that's happening there. Naaman is this great general for Syria, an enemy of Israel, and he has leprosy, and he's tried everything to cure his leprosy. He's went to all the holy men in Syria. He's tried all the different, ail, you know, different cures, the different doctors, tried all these things. None of them have worked. And so one of his slaves that he actually captured from Israel says, Hey, back in my hometown, there's this holy man called Elisha. Actually, it's, it's spelt very similar. It's not, we think of often Elijah. Elijah is kind of this big guy that we hear about. Elisha, this is actually the successor to Elijah that walked along with Elijah. Uh, and so it's actually the successor of Elijah. Elisha is there. Hey, why don't you go talk to him? And so Naaman's like, hey, might as well try it, right? And so he travels all the way to Israel. And what's interesting is that Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He doesn't even come out. He says, he sends somebody else and he says, hey, Naaman, go wash, bathe seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman is furious. First of all, because he wouldn't even come out and talk to him. Secondly, because he tells him to go bathe in a river. A river that he says, you know, there's, there's cleaner rivers back home in Syria. Why would, and I've already bathed in those, right? Why would bathing in this river be any different? But one of the other, one of his, uh, one of the other people there in his group remind Naaman, hey Naaman, if, if he would have asked you to do something crazy, you would have done it, right? And he's like, well, yeah, I suppose. And he's like, hey, you're already here. Why don't we just go down to the river, bathe seven times, and, and if something happens, great. If nothing happens, well, you're not out anything. And so he says, yeah, that's a good point. Goes down to the river, bathes seven times in the Jordan River, and is cleansed. Now, with that, he realizes that there's something more there than what he initially thought, right? He realized that Elisha was speaking for the true God, and he actually wants to worship the true God. I think about that relating in our own lives. How does that apply to our life? Well, 
We all have certain things that we'd like Jesus to heal miraculously, right? We all want things to just be gone with us. And we've tried lots of different things. And maybe we even feel like we've tried prayer before. Or we've tried Mass before, right? And Jesus just doesn't take it away, right? Whatever, whatever that thing is. Um, but if, if we were asked to do something crazy, if we said, you know, your ailment would be gone if you climbed Mount Everest, I, I don't know, I'm, I might try to do that, right? I might try to do something, you know, big or, you know, if it was something bigger. But it's funny because God says, you know, hey, this, just go to Mass every Sunday, Go to Mass every Sunday, receive the sacraments, go to confession, right? Be baptized, receive confirmation. In sickness, receive anointing of the sick. These ordinary things that we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We've already tried those and they don't work. They don't work in our way that we want. But, but this is different, right? We need to participate. We need to place ourselves in obedience and also in love in them. And so this ordinary thing that we're called to come and be with is actually extraordinary. It's extraordinary in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's extraordinary in the prayer that it is. But it lacks often in our participation that we don't fully understand what it is. Now, we're not going to fully understand everything that happens here. Part of it is a mystery. But to realize that it's a mystery is an important part of our engagement in it. To realize that we can understand and know certain things about it, and some of it will continue to be a mystery. Now, we could learn about the liturgy to be able to uh, participate in it in uh, more ways by having Father Samuel give an hour-long homily. I'm going to try to avoid that, right? Um, But it's still really important to learn about the liturgy outside of just the short amount of homilies about it. And one of the ways that the parish wants you to engage is they've purchased this form, uh, a formed subscription for the whole parish. And that allows you to be able to log online and to be able to have access to thousands and thousands of different resources to learn about your Catholic faith. One of those is on the liturgy, or actually multiple of those is on the liturgy. And so you can access formed.org either by going on your computer, and there's a a thing in the bulletin that kind of explains what the code is, and it's free for you to get on, and you can learn more about the liturgy to spend some time on that. Or if you have a smartphone, you can download the app formed.org, and then also plug some information in, and again, get thousands of resources for free at your fingertips. And there's multiple series learning about the liturgy on that, which I really encourage you to do that. If you have a difficulty with technology, uh, you can stop into the parish office and Aaron will help you because I probably won't be there. But but Aaron and others will help you there. Um, If... one of the series that I love uh, on it and that I really enjoyed watching as well as learning from was Elements of the Mass. And the Elements of the Mass just has two to four minute clips about different parts of the Mass. And they're explaining it in a very simple way that helps you to be able to understand more. So that when you see it on Sunday, you're able to engage in it more. And so as we come here, I hope that you are able to participate in a fuller, conscious, and active way in this ordinary but extraordinary liturgy mass today.